Good afternoon. Wilkinson here. I'm still in LA on my short visit, and today I'm also with Sam Salar. I met Sam, what, five years ago as an Airbnb guest at my house. Then COVID happened, so we've been a little bit out of touch, <laughs> and you've changed your life a lot. You're an attorney now. Yes, sir. But anyway, say hi to everybody. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Sam Salar. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I don't know how formal I should be, but I'm going to give you my going to give you an intro. That's good. Uh, born and raised Persian Jew, gay. Uh, I'm an attorney, and I have a firm called Legally Queer. Just had to put that out there. It's my pride and joy. We're going to get to that. Okay, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> also, I might add, we will put some links in the episode notes so people can get a hold of you if they need something. Awesome. Okay. So, what's happened the last five years since I saw you? Ah. Nutshell me. Let's hear it. Nutshell you. I think at that point, I was about 24. I just started my first... I was going... I was starting my first year of law school, I believe. And I was... I think at that point, I came out to Palm Springs just to have fun. Your beautiful home was just impeccable then. I know that you changed things up there. And... Throughout the past five years, we'll, we'll start out with law school. It was very tough and intense. My entire personality and persona changed. I went from a young boy to a disheveled, anxious man <laughs> that needed to study for final exams and uh, kind of like forget my youth in a sense and kind of mature up, which was fine. It really did a lot of great things for me, law school. Pandemic hit about mid last the so like there was the last year of law school pandemic hit march so i was class of 2020 and i was at that time like everything was on zoom so i started to learn like remedies and whatever uh, other classes that i had to take at that last point to be able to graduate and i didn't take the bar exam until february of the year after so and then 21 21 yeah okay and then i passed Oh, I didn't pass the first time. And then I took another year off because I really felt like I wanted to have a better grip on what I wanted to do with my legal with my legal career before I actually start as a practitioner. So I worked in litigation um, up until from I got my results in May from May up until November of that year, I was working. So this is 21, right? And I was working as a litigator or just a litigation manager. I wasn't, I was like a paralegal, I guess. And, um, I took the bar in February 22 of this year and I passed thankfully. Oh, <laughs> second so you try. just, you just passed. I just tried. So it's my so this second is all try. New stuff here. Yeah. And, um, Soon after, I continued my litigation as an attorney, but within those, it was like a two month span that I was working as a litigator and I was so miserable. I was so sick and upset and sad and just bitter about everything. And I was just stuck in a f office. And you just got started. And I just got started. <laughs> and I like the guy, he was a sweet guy. Um, his name was Herbert Goodell. Maybe he'll listen to this sweet guy. Became my mentor. Really put in a lot of effort into helping me kind of like realize what I wanted to do. Well, he tried to help me realize that I wanted to be a litigator. And midway, um, 
I realized I I hate it. Litigation, not law. And I opted out. I gave him a one-week notice, not even a two-week notice, because I couldn't even bear the thought of just being there for two more weeks. The How I figured out I didn't want to do litigation was... Great news came. I passed the bar, and everyone at those during, during those two times, two months would always ask, "Oh, congratulations! Are you happy now?" And I like, I like, it's, I my mind went into shock. I'm like, "Am I happy now?" That's a great question. No, I'm not, and I hated saying that. And wow. I had to think about it and be like, "Am I happy now?" No, but it's this is my biggest dream to pass the bar exam to become a, uh, an attorney here. You know, in the state of California, second highest or hardest bar exam in the in the in the nation, right? What's the hardest? I think it's tied between New York and California at okay. this point. At that point, I had lunch with a friend and he asked me that question. I said, "No, I'm actually not." I kind of reflected on it, and this is where it gets fun. I, this is where my journey in law begins. Right. So I was 18 years old at one point, and I worked for a an attorney named Alex Topher, Topher and Associates. And he was always not only my biggest supporter, a great boss, an advocate for the LGBT community. And he really always was checking on me, calling me, hey, what's up? How's it going? I'm so proud of you. You're doing such great things in the Iranian community, helping boys and girls come out and identify as gay. Why don't you start your own firm and give back to your community? Why don't you contribute back as a gay Iranian man? Now, did he tell you that when you were 18? No. This was okay. obviously I wasn't out when I was 18. I came okay. out when I was like 20, 19. Okay. But he, the, over the time. So at what point did he say that to you? So I graduated law school. During law school, he would contact me just to check in. Check-ins became more frequent as I became more qualified to, as an attorney. And um, when I passed the bar, he checked in again. And also, when I was studying for the bar, this is really interesting and such a great, like the biggest thing that anyone has ever done for me. During the bar of the pandemic, there was no libraries available to anyone to basically go and study at. He His office was like kind of not working. It was like shut down. He gave me a key to the, the law. He owns the building. He gave me a key to the lobby. Gave me the access code to the unit and a key to the to a single office space and let me study for the bar there. Wow. This guy's an angel on earth, I'm telling you. And I don't say that about everyone. <laughs> and he's straight, too. So I'm not really like a fan <laughs> of all straight people. But right. he's honestly a, a saint to me. And when I passed the bar, um, it was always in the talks. And like we were always talking about it. And he's like, listen... I'd always pretend like I'm happy about litigation and what I want to do because I wanted to be a good contributing member of society. And it it kind of dawned on me that I fucking hate it. Excuse my language. I hated it. So with the help of him and his support, I launched Legally Queer. And the reason why I want to give back to my community, I'm just really passionate about being gay. I'm really passionate about other people being passionate about identifying as queer. Or whoever they are. LG, whoever they are, yeah, right? Yeah. But mainly okay, just... Well, wait, wait a second. So I'm, I'm lost on the time. Sorry. I'm... So you're you're working for the litigator. Mm-hmm. You're two months into it. You pass the bar. Alex sweeps me off my feet and gives me this great okay, so idea. so you were at that point when you were working for the other guys when he says, why don't you give back? When did he say, why don't you give back? He was always talking about me giving back uh, for like about a year okay. at that point. Um, but it didn't land until you were. It didn't in land the until it one. dawned on me that yeah. I 
don't want to be a litigator and I don't want to be listen. Yeah. And I, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he would, he mocked me <laughs> Did he? when I, when I told him I hate my job, he mocked me. He's like, Oh, well, I thought you were a litigator, huh? And I'm like, Oh my God, you're just an asshole. Aren't you? He's like, listen, you are not fit for litigation you are a people person and you are so passionate and i agree with them i am so passionate about giving back that it's all i need to do to make our community a better place so i so bring you finally you law. listened yeah i bring you gay law <laughs> oh, very cool very cool so you said you're persian and you're jewish and you're gay how'd that go over well, the Persian and the Jewish, I, that's kind of a given, but how'd the gay part go over? The gay part was always <laughs> taboo to me as much as it is to the rest of the community. We're talking about about 10 years ago, I came right. out of the closet. But before I existed, there were gay men and women in our community, and they always existed. This kind of makes me emotional because at that time, they were our they they were fighting they were at the forefront right so my story about coming out really starts when i i never came out until i was 19 but i was about like 7 or 8 when i really just kind of sensed the difference between me and all the other boys on the playground most of my friends were girls they kind of still are and <laughs> i was just different you know and um by the time i turned like 17 i really developed a taste for fashion. <laughs> I really enjoyed blow drying my best friend's hair after school. Um, my porn history really changed from the, I, I would look at the guy and then I'm like, oh, enough of this. The girl's hot, you know, like I don't have anything against women, but like, what is it like with men? You know? And like, it just kind of evolved. But when I was in high school is when it really hit hard. And that's when depression and anguish and anxiety became my friend. I lived two lives from the second I started to become sexually matured. And when I was 19, I went to UC, I got accepted to UCSD. I transferred from Santa Monica College out to San Diego. And I remember like my first social gathering there. And it was very common here too, for people to just walk up to me and ask me if I was gay. Back then it was an insult. They would just walk up and yeah, ask Yeah, like, hey, are you gay? And like, I'm like, well, fuck you. <laughs> like, well, it's rude. You know, I mean, I don't mean to be offensive, but it could be your pink sneakers. You know? Or maybe, oh, well, I'm wearing pink sneakers. <laughs> also, my, uh, have a very, uh, a Valley Girl accent, as you could okay. tell. Um, but when I got to college, I felt safe because I wasn't surrounded by my community and right. by the, around the people that I grew up with. Not that they're bad people, but I had the opportunity to let loose. And that's when I would, when people would ask me, are you gay? I would say yes. And I just felt this relief. So in college, you were, for the first time you said you answered yes. Yes. I would go come back home and I felt this Im Im an immense amount of guilt when I would look at my parents and I remember one day I was with my mom out and she kept, it's like motherly instinct. She kept asking me, what's wrong with you? Why, why are you acting this way? What's like, you're, you seem depressed. You seem that there's something going on. Talk to me. And I looked at her dead in the eye and I said, you tell me what you think is wrong. <laughs> and she's like, either you are a drug addict or you're gay. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know why those two things are related to each other, but yes, I'm gay. And, mom. and both <laughs> things were bad to her, right? Yes. 
<laughs> the level of like how I'd which rather, one's oh my worst? God. Which, which one's worse? So her, they were equal. Actually, they were it equal. seemed like. But did she say? Wait, did you say drug user or drug dealer? Drug addict. Oh, drug addict. So that was equal. It was equal on her wow. spectrum of terrible things that could happen to her kids. So you said yes. God forbid, some type of other problem. You know, it's just worse things could happen to people, but. Yes, I told her yes, and wait, she, you said yes, I am, but she said which one? I kind of told her I was bi. <laughs> no, I. She said which one, and I said I'm, I'm bi or I'm gay or something like that. And I felt bad, you know. Like my mother is an immigrant; she's a hardworking woman. She's a boss lady too, but like I just didn't want to give her some other something else to worry about. I didn't want to make her feel bad about her life. Not that she had a terrible life, but like I wanted her to be at peace. That's a part of the reason why. Um, a lot of people in my community don't come out. It's called the Averu, or like not Averu, but like something with like dignity or trying to right. make sure that the parents don't feel bad about themselves, that they're always, that they can always hold their head up high and go to bed with a, put their head on the pillow and not be worried at the end of the night. And I didn't want to give my parents something to worry about. But at the same time, at that point, eventually there'd be other things for them to worry about if I didn't come out of the closet. Other problems would surface. You know how it is. So when I told her, I kind of like gave her like the easy way of thinking that I'm bisexual, but I was definitely not. And it wasn't a safe environment for me either at the age of 19, not having any type of support. So it was really a cry out for help when I came out of the closet at that point. And um, she shushed me unfortunately, but I'm sure now she regrets it because she's my biggest ally and advocate, which is amazing. Right. So at some point you must've said, uh, not by gay. Yeah. (laughs) This is the funny part of the story. I'm sorry. I'm putting all our shit out there, mom and dad and sister and brother, but everyone else needs to hear it because everyone has a story and other people are going to take away from this. And I hope that it helps them. So she shushed me and she told me to not tell anyone. And then it's going to stay between us. My sister, who's my second mom, one of the closest people to me in my life, and she started to make comments about gay people. And at that point, I already told my mom and I was half one foot out of the closet door. And that just really fucking pissed me off. So I'm like, all right, well, I was at lunch with her and she made the comment and I literally looked her in the eye. I'm like, you, well, you shouldn't be saying these types of things about these people. And she looked at me and she's like, and she dropped her fork. I distinctly remember her (laughs) dropping her fork and she's like, what are you saying? And I'm like, well, I'm telling you that I'm gay. And she's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, just be a little bit more considerate. Wow. And she's a very emotional person. She's very heartfelt and, uh, conscious person in a sense where she wants everyone to be safe and protected around her. So her take on that at the end of that conversation was, I love you. I care about you. I just don't want you to be hurt and bullied because she was raised in the eighties and nineties around that time. It was the AIDS epidemic and people were just being trashed and tormented on TV. And she didn't want her family and her little brother that she loved so much to be, to be subjected to that type of cruelty. Right. But she then also decided to keep it under the wraps and her and my mom were my little scavenger. And so like, did each of them know that the other knew he, well, they find out cause my sister had to say something to someone cause she was so overwhelmed. <laughs> and my mom was upset at that point. She's like, I thought I told you not to say anything. And I just told them whatever I didn't live here. So I'm like, whatever y'all need to just figure it out on your own. 
worst part about all this was that the guilt that they would hand me was that your father's going to have a heart attack if he ever finds out that you're gay. That, when a, when a child hears that they could hurt their parents by just being who they are, right. it's the worst thing you could tell a child, you know? And I had to live a lie again. And I was in San Diego. I was having fun. My mom and my sister knew, but they didn't want to know anything else. But word gets around. My dad's also a religious Jewish man. He goes to temple one day for the evening prayers. Some jackass. Yes, you're a jackass. You're still a jackass if you're listening. Goes and tells my dad that you're, oh, I heard your son is gay. In the middle of congregation, what a what a low person would do, what a low person did other people that. hear that? Um, I'm not was sure. I wasn't private? there. It was. I'm, it was. It whatever it was. It wasn't meant to be anything of moral support, kindness, or anything that would just kind of like be there for someone. It was mostly to get back at him for whatever envy that he has for my father, which is bullshit because it's just hurtful, you know. Right. Right. And he was upset my dad's a very traditional man um and but you know it took him like seven months to kind to of bring come, that to up? look at me and talk to me he was really really hurt he's but very, you didn't know that he had been told no that? well he basically uh finds out <laughs> um this is where my mom turns into like my warrior and my fighter and my okay. helper <laughs> and i'm at home i was i just got back from college at that point and he just recently found out, okay? So I've been out for two years at this point. I was like 21 then, or 22. And I'm like chilling in bed. It was a Sunday. And my mom walks into my room and her eyes are bulging out. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And she just like grabs the phone, puts it on speaker. And she starts looking at me. And I just hear my dad like kind of choked up. He's hurt. He's upset. He's like, I heard that. Sam is gay. Um, do you know anything about this? Is this true? And she So this said, is a live conversation she walks in with? Yeah, and she puts the phone on speaker. Oh, wow. And I could hear her. Because she she's the type to, like, throw everything on the table because she doesn't want to. She can't handle it. So she put it on speaker, and she literally says to him, I don't know much, but I think that it's best that you have a conversation with him directly. She hangs up the phone and I remember her, we both started like choking up and crying and she looked at me and she's like, whatever you do, however it goes, I'm here for you till the end. And I'm here to support you. That was the first time my mother, knowing that how hard it was for her, right? she, 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 she stood up to the plate and my father summons me to his work. <laughs> um, he like I was just he owned a he owned a retail store in downtown Los Angeles. He was a he did electronic sales. Okay. And he sees me, he greets me, and he tells me to go stand outside. Uh, and he'll be out there in a minute to talk to me. And he walks up to me to my side. He doesn't I want to have a face-to-face conversation with me. He leans over and he's like, So, um, is it true that you sleep with men? And that form of question in itself is just degrading. You know what I mean? Right. But what he, but how I interpreted that question was, are you gay? I just said yes to him because I couldn't 
handle the concept of beating around the bush anymore. I had to just rip off the bandaid. Right. It hurt. I was scared. And he said, okay. And he walked away (laughs) and he couldn't look at me or talk to me for seven or eight months. This is where the story gets better. In the Iranian community in Los Angeles, California, where a large population of Iranians live, there are support groups led by licensed marriage marriage therapist counselors and other parents that have gay, lesbian, trans, bisexual, queer identifying children. Right. I had to <laughs> force my mom to go to these meetings and meet these people. We're a very tribal group of people. It's literally monkey see, monkey do. And my mother, her first meeting she came, she was such a bitch to everyone there because she was just so in denial and she didn't want to deal with it. Second and third (laughs) meeting, she realized that, oh, I've known this other lady here for like, God knows, 40 years. Well, her son's gay. I didn't even know that. This person's married to so-and-so, which is a relative of ours. She has a gay daughter. That's amazing. So... It really, really helped to have people in your community that also have children that are gay as well. So ever since my parents really started to become more familiar with other people that have gay children, they kind of like let it go. But the conversation ended up being, you need to get your education You are still going to treat you the same and you need to make sure that you're a contributing member to society. Just because you're gay doesn't mean that you get to do whatever the fuck you want. So did your your father ever go to those meetings or just your mother? Eventually my father came and would go and first two times for him, my mom would go initially alone like a few times to like check out clear to see if the coast coast is clear, right? (laughs) And then she brings him and he started acting weird and after that, like a f- like their like maybe tenth time, my father was the one that was comforting parents that were new to the group. Huh. Unbeknownst, this guy is like seventy six years old right now, old school. You don't understand how derogatory and demeaning Persian men can be towards women and gay men especially. Right. Um, curse words in Iran in the Iranian language. Like the F word, faggot, and other words like that, excuse my language, are very common. They to, to make fun of each other, they use gay slurs. Right. So it's very degrading for a man to be gay in the Iranian community. For this guy to come up and step up to the plate at this age from his era, I'm blessed. You know what I mean? But then again, there's other boys and girls that don't have this type of privilege. So when he started talking to you after seven or eight months, how did that happen? Um, Just gradually? He cut me off. (laughs) And he said, you're on your own. You know, you're a man regardless, or you're just an individual. And we took it from there. Wait, he didn't consider you a man? No, he did (laughs) consider me a man. But you know what I mean? Like, he's like, you're an adult now, you know, and it's fine. Um, a lot of my work ethic comes from him. So I, I was able to maintain and hold well, it down. On the bright side, I have other Persian friends and, you know, all of them want their children to be their doctors or lawyers. So, I mean, you got points for that. Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, had to, <laughs> I lost like 10 years of my life becoming a lawyer. But you know what? I'm then again bringing it back in and having my, I'm dedicating my, um, my professional career 
to my identity because really without my identity, I wouldn't be who I am as a game. So man, let's meaning. talk about your law firm a little bit. So what do you specialize in? I specialize in personal injury. I do slip and falls, car accidents, premise liability, and such. Okay, and it's mainly for the gay community or um, LGBT or so yes. I mean everyone could file a cause of action against anyone, but um the queer community to me is home, right? Um a lot of my professionalism stems from that. I was I'm I'm co chair of JQ International, which is a Jewish queer organization, and I've been with them ever since I moved to LA and there and that's the group of parents that are part of that. So giving back is really important to me. And one thing that I want for our community is adequate legal representation without feeling the need to be uncomfortable in any setting. You know, for me, I feel most comfortable around people of like, so people who are like me, I feel so much more comfortable around them rather than like people that don't understand me or understand my identity, whether it's being Iranian Jewish or being gay, right? And I've had experiences in the past where I've been singled out as being the gay person or the token gay client or stuff like that. And it's just really uncomfortable because like that's just a facade and it clouds the concept of what needs to be done. So Legally Queer exists to kind of just negate all the uncomfortableness uh, that you could have or encounter when you seek legal advice or legal help by coming to a queer law firm with other queer attorneys who are advocates and who want to help their own community. One thing that's really important to me is just being able to work with other gay people. And that's why I chose to start this law firm, Legally Queer. So you have other attorneys there? I do. Uh, not many. Well, <laughs> you're looking. starting out. It's just um, right now we have another immigration attorney. His name is Ali Balur. He's also queer. He is a phenomenal immigration attorney. Fine. And then I have a criminal law attorney who's an advocate. She used to work with ACT UP in the eighties, and she's phenomenal. She's a boss bitch, boss lady. Her name is <laughs> Alale Kamran. I followed this woman to, I used to shadow her in my younger days and she, she, she runs a tight ship and an ally to me is God's gift on earth. You know what I mean? Cause without our allies, which she is one, we wouldn't, our voices wouldn't be heard loud and clear, you know? So she herself was not gay then. She is not queer. Okay. No, I did question her. She's like, you know, I don't have that privilege. Unfortunately, <laughs> I only go one way and I'm like, okay, well, I'm fine. So if you were giving a message to my listeners, what would you say to them today? It's one is to be mindful, but be selfish. There's really? a saying in Farsi, aval to, badan to, to. First you, then yourself, then yourself. Meaning think of yourself first in every situation. It's the most like selfish and rude and disrespect. Like you just like the most per, like self-centered thing to think, right? But a lot of people, not all, forget about themselves. They forget about who they are. 
they please people too much and don't really, they don't check in with themselves. So really what I'm trying to tell people is to always check in with themselves and make sure that you're okay before you decide to do anything. Even when you wake up in the morning, you put yourself out and you step outside of the house, check in with yourself, see what you need and recalibrate your own needs before the world, you know, because you need to be, you need to, you need to protect yourself somehow. You might be surrounded by love and family and friends, but at the end of the day, it's you and yourself that you're being with and you have to deal with. A lot of my people I've interviewed in various forms, this is a different way, but I think it ties in is, is be authentic or be real. So actually what you're saying ties into that because yourself wants you to be real. I think it's very common for boys and girls who identify as queer to have an identity crisis um, we tend to please people and forget about ourselves. There was a big problem in my life and it, it kind of like unraveled into insecurities and emotional ups and downs and unbalances in terms of like instability emotionally, which is something that I struggled with up until I became an adult. Um, but what really what really helped me was facing these hard situations and being like, this is not what I want. I need to check back in with me, recalibrate me, figure out what I want and then address this situation. Then I'll be able to have a clearer mind on my decision-making in my life, whether it's a relationship, shopping for clothes, even the slightest thing, you know what I mean? Healthy lifestyle. I need to know what I want, not what other people want. I need to check in with myself. Very good. Thank you for coming in, Sam. Thank you. Did I, I ramble too much? No, not at all. <laughs> and uh, we are going to put your info in the in the notes. Awesome. So can Thank you. Thank so you. Legally Queer is here for the LGBT community to seek legal advice. It's a safe space. Um, and it's really something for people to just come and enjoy being gay and not be judged and have adequate legal representation from people of, that are part of their own community. Great. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. (laughs) Take care.